Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. Hello, I'm Mark Chapman. This is the Athletic Football Podcast and our guest today is Sean Dyche, who in April this year left his role as manager of Burnley after nearly 10 years in charge. Uh, I started by asking him what he's been doing since then. I took advice from a lot of managers who had been down that road way more than me, um, older, wiser managers, and they said, look, whether you need it or not, take a break from it, just step away from it, which I did do mainly through the summer months. And then even going into the beginning of the season, pre-season time, I wasn't getting involved in all the football stuff. I wasn't watching too much. I was just taking it, watching my lad play, to be fair, and bits and bobs like that. Popped up to see Michael Duff, who's working at Barnsley. I had a look at his lot. Popped down to local clubs like Forest and stuff, but not in a way, you know, not in a way I was scoping anything out. I was merely, well, Duffo asked me to come and have a look at what they were doing. Casual, I would say, casual football observations, taking a proper break from it. Seeing friends, going to gigs, stuff that I like doing, bit of golf, few charity bits, few podcasts. And generally, I think the last probably month I've started, you know, viewing it differently again, getting back, making sure I'm up to date with match of the day and, you know, match of the day two, of course. Of course. Generally keeping more of a view of it and keeping an eye on, on what's going on in the marketplace. When you look back now at maybe what you did through the summer, do you now think that you needed it? Just in maybe a refreshing way, just to get that real taste back in your in your mouth again for it, you know, because you know, I was at it for a long time and you know, I had a year at Watford previous to Burnley, only had kind of four months out then and then back in at Burnley. And I think the other side of life don't forget, it's not just the football. I was traveling a lot and in the car a lot and staying away a lot and all them life challenges that people forget. Because obviously when you're a football manager, you're just a football manager. You know, you you become not a human being anymore. <laughs> you're just a football manager. So you know, a lot of them things. So, yeah, looking back on all of them things, if you put them all in the melting pot, it can be a good thing, I think, to to step away, have a break, and, and just remember there is life outside of football. Yeah, and I, I always think maybe that's the most important thing. Look, to, to work in football, to work in sport, it is an amazing privilege. It feels so lucky to, you know, for you to do what you do, for me to do what I do, but it can be all-consuming. It, it yeah. can be, and, and you do need to step away and go to a, a gig or go to the cinema or go out for or whatever it may be. I remember years ago when I was, you know, properly getting involved with the management thought and the concepts. I mean, uh, probably when I, probably when I was youth team coach at Watford around that period, kind of development coach, I remember reading an article on the, the Fortune 750 companies in America. And what they'd found, the owners were actually looking for CEOs who could switch off. They weren't looking for the ones who couldn't switch off because they knew it was a short span of life, you know, for them to run a company. They're actually looking for the ones who can step away, the ones who can switch off, the ones who can turn their their head to something different. So therefore, when they're on their job, they can be really sharp. And I've I've never forgotten that. And I've tried to use that during my management career. You know, I still step away. I still like a a gig or a a night with friends and, and try and switch off. It's very difficult, of course. So for this period, it has been nice to literally switch off because the only other period I can remember was the pandemic when, of course, it was all on freeze. You couldn't do anything. You were stuck. You couldn't buy a play. You couldn't sell a play. You couldn't really... 
you know, I remember hearing managers were saying, yeah, we've come up with this master plan. I, th- I personally thought a load of nonsense, you know, some freeze. What was the matter? If we weren't doing the master plan in the first place, you shouldn't have been doing your job. <laughs> I thought that was interesting. So that's the only time I can remember other than this period I've had now when you actually go, right, stop, stand still, refresh, step away, change the view of, of what your life is about. And I've done that over the last few months. And as I said, the last three, four weeks, I've started getting back into the mode of, of sort of management thinking and, and watching the game and what's going on. You talk about starting to get back in. Michael Duff, a former player of yours and, and was also a, a, a youth coach at Burnley when he started, wasn't a reserve coach at Burnley when he started to get into management. So you have that relationship there. If you're going to look at other clubs or visit other clubs or just go and watch a game of football... Do you think there's an air of suspicion around that in, oh, is he after this job or that job? Yeah, well, so over the last month, it's been a nightmare for me geographically because my rule of thumb was when I was at Watford, I was under pressure after about 13 games. and It was kind of on that verge of Deitch out kind of stuff. I remember there was one game, there was 11 managers there and nine were out of work. I remember thinking, right, note yourself, that's not for me. You know, I thought, I'm going to, that's not for me doing that. So I thought, right. Now, some people tell me I'm naive. Some people tell me that's the law of the jungle. But you've got to have your own values as well. The reason I'm bringing that up is so when I came out of Watford, I only went to teams in my location or people I knew. So I knew John Rookin at Leicester. I had links with Forest and MK Dons was just down the road and I was living in Northampton. The killer for me now, the family relocated to Nottingham. Well, I can't really go down to Nottingham Forest because the camera zoom in and they presuppose that you're there for an ulterior motive than just to watch a game. I can't go to Leicester until maybe recently because they've won a few games. I couldn't go to Wolves for the same reason. I couldn't go to Villa for the same reason. I can't go to Leeds for the same reason. And they're all within an hour, hour and 20 minutes. And you kind of go, well, okay, where am I travelling then to just watch a game? So I don't blend, whether it's my face or my voice, I don't blend well. So it does, it does get tricky when you, you, your values are saying, don't be that guy who sits in the stand watching a manager under pressure. But you're not actually there to do that. I, you know, I live in Nottingham. I'm actually there to just watch the game. But of course, I don't do it because I think it looks wrong and it's not what I, I consider my own values to be. Notts County are top of the National League, though. They're flying. I think it's fair to say it's unlikely that I'd get linked with that job. <laughs> it's absolutely no disrespect to Notts County at all. It was my first ever professional club I went on trial for. Uh, was not counting when I was 12 years old. So there's nothing in it in that, but I would imagine the suspicion will be less. Um, and, and likewise, if I go down to Northampton to watch my son, who's, who's involved there, he's playing, he's been sub and stuff. People are used to me going there. But to give you a view of my own private life, my lad had a chance of playing at Stevenage last week. I didn't go, deliberately didn't go, because it's his story. I don't, want it, I don't want it to be yeah. my story. And if I turn up, there's a lot of news at last weekend, if you remember, about management jobs coming up and all that. My lad had a chance of starting. He, had, he did get on in the end for sort of 20 minutes, 25 minutes. But I, I thought, no, and I, you know, his mum went down, but I decided not to. I thought, no, no, I'm not going to do that because it just takes away from his story. It's not my story now, it's his story. Uh, are you a good watcher of your son? There was something I learned at Watford and they used to have a sign by the pitch and it said, you wouldn't scream at your kid when they're learning to play the piano, so why are you screaming at him now? And I've never, I've never ever stopped thinking about that. And I thought, they're right. So I never, ever have been that down. I've never screamed. I've never shouted. I've never got involved. I, I used to stand miles away from the pitch when the lab was playing. Probably people thought I was being ignorant or arrogant. I wasn't. I was just standing out the way to allow him to come and play. He's got enough weight. Everyone knows he's my son. The lads used to give him a bit. Um, I only found this out the other day when, when he was sub. They used to go, oh, look, your dad's come to watch you be sub. You know, give him a bit of heat. You know what I mean? Look at your dad. He's come to watch you be sub and all that. So he had a bit of heat and he's had a bit of heat down his life. But I know I'm not that guy. I, I stand away. I talk no. to him. I talk to him about it. 
Um, but I don't, I don't get involved as in physically or with the coaches and all that. I, I tell you a funny one though, Chavez, I always marvel at this. So when he was going through his development years, the coaches were really good at Northampton. I really liked them. And I remember you go in like as an adult, you know, as a parent, and I remember sitting there and I remember they must have thought, oh, God, what are we going to say to this guy? You know, I mean, what are we going to tell a Premier League manager what he needs to know about his son's development? But I was always very respectful of it. I always listened. I always said to Max, these are your coaches. This is who you've got to listen to. Because um, I think it was the right thing to do. You know, we're talking about amateur behaviour there, actually. We're talking about amateur, amateur parents' behaviour. But you can also look at amateur players' behaviour as well. I mean, that is in the news at the moment when looking at the behaviour of the professionals compared to how that then affects Saturday and Sunday football. Is that is that something that was ever in your mind in, in your time at Burnley, how you and your players behaved? Well, it's ironic because there was them stories about, you know, tough Burnley and, you know, some manager implying that we were sort of uh, overzealous, let's say, in, in challenging what the game was. And then you get Marco Bielsa came out and said, absolutely not, it's a virtue of his team. You know, they should be. They should be wearing their heart on their sleeve. They should be challenging for everything and fighting for every inch of, of what the game demands. Um, I've been a great believer in that. If you looked at our record for um, bookings, you've looked at sendings off. I think we were the longest team in the Premier League, 100 and odd games with a sending off. If you looked at the ones for dissent, minimal, including myself, um, I think underlying some of them stories, you've got to look at the hard facts. And I was never, ever promoting my players to get involved with referees. In fact, the opposite. I sometimes did because I think sometimes it's needed and sometimes you, you can't help the emotion of it. Um, certainly wasn't trying to get our players to play anything other than fair. Um, but equally, why can't you play tough? You can still play tough and fair, you know. That's part of the game. And yeah. I, think, I think that's a valid part of the game. And if anything... I think there's an undercurrent of fans who still want to see that. They still want to see a, a player fighting hard for their team and working hard for their team. I don't think that'll ever go out of fashion, and nor should it, in my opinion. Um, of course, the game got more technical and tactical, but there's, there's an undercurrent of fans out there who I think still want to see players give their lot, just purely give everything for their team and their club. When you had decisions that went your way, of which there were many, obviously, did you teach yourself to compose yourself before post-match stuff? You learn. You have to learn quickly. I think the jump from the Championship, uh, although, don't get me wrong, the Championship is a very recognised uh, league, but the jump media-wise into the Premier League is absolutely vast. You have to learn quickly. I think I'm pretty measured anyway. I, I don't... I don't. <laughs> but people who know me a long time... Um, I've always I've got a bad trait, right? And they will say you're, you're you're completely underwhelmed about everything. You know, it, it'd have to be the most magnificent event ever for me to go. Wow, <laughs> this is incredible. You know, and so it's a bad trait. Actually, it sounds a good trait. Trust me, it's not a good trait because there's been I've had some amazing things happen in my life, and I'm always that guy who sort of goes, "Oh, yeah, it was good." You know, so uh, so uh, yeah, that kind of keeps me kind of flatlined a little bit. And the other thing is, the words I say, I mean everything, really. And I've always said it's a season's work, you know, because we beat, I don't know, uh, Man U at Man U, it doesn't solve the whole season. You know, like you, you've just got another three points and it might be a big three points. It might be great for the fans and all that, but it's still just three points. So I've always tried to be level in that respect that, you know, that the last one doesn't guarantee the next one and the one that you just won doesn't guarantee the one after that. So therefore, try and keep it just a little bit level the goods, the bads, the you know the hards and the, the highs and the lows. Rather, just try and level it out a little bit. Do you give credit where it's due though to your players? If you're if you're sort of underwhelmed by everything, when one of your players has a nine out of ten or a ten out of ten performance, do you then give credit where credit's due? Yeah, that's different. Don't forget, I'm talking about my own. Manner. Yeah, I'm talking about what yeah. I display to others. So no, no, no. If if the players have done well, 
um, they'll they'll get rewarded with praise. But but what I mean is I don't I don't go in shouting and yelping and punching there and uh, high fiving every player that we've got. It's very rare I do that. There's been a couple of occasions, but to be honest, there've been massive games when we were trying to get promoted out the championship and things like that. When I when I knew this this might be a clincher. Um, there's been rare in the Premier League, you know, some of the big results we had. I wasn't like carrying on, you know, I just kind of said, well done, lads, you know, blah, blah, blah. Sometimes I give real praise out to certain individuals, not very often. Um, but yet again, not because I don't want to give them praise, it's because I like the team ethic. I like everyone to understand what's going on in the team, not just one player. Um, but no, I was talking about me. When I'm displaying it to others, I'd like to think that I have a positive edge to whatever I, I deliver to them. What was the last thing that did overwhelm you then? What was the last thing that you thought, bloody hell, that was fantastic? Well, it was the weirdest thing. I, I quite like experiences and, and pe- meeting people. And I remember meeting Flea out of Red Hot Chili Peppers and probably that weird thing, because I've liked them for donkey's years. And that weird thing when my mate Freddie works with the bands, he's a physio to the bands and stuff. He's actually gone in as overseeing out Chelsea, funny enough, Freddie Murray, um, top, top guy and top physio. And he was working with the bands. And he said, I think you've just melted. He said, I just saw you melt you know, like in front of Flea. <laughs> Because I did, I did that thing when you sort of go, hi, you know, like, well, nice to meet you. So I wouldn't say I wouldn't say I was overwhelmed, but I was a bit sort of like starstruck for want of a better way of putting it. More than you would think, I really do enjoy the experience of winning football matches. It doesn't always seem it, but internally, I am really joyous about that. I mean, that is what always gave me a career in football. It wasn't anything else than the, the, the thrill of winning, the, the buzz and the desire to win. And when you do... That's a lovely feeling, and I do really, really love that feeling. And do you allow yourself to enjoy that the most, I don't know, when you get back into your office and shut the door and it's just you, or get home and shut the door? Because everywhere else, everywhere else there are eyes on you, and it might be cameras on you, it might be fans, it might be media, it might be... so. And, and the nature of football now is we're trying to spot a sign in every little body language, every word that is said, hence why players talk over their mouths all the time at post-match and so on and so forth. Can you really then only allow yourself to enjoy it when you shut that door and it's you and your family or your closest friend? The winning feeling brings an inner calm. It's like your, your work's been done properly or, or not always. I mean, you might get a lucky win, but particularly when the team, if the team's played well and it's gone for what you planned and it's gone for what you believe in and they've won a game, for one, there's a great satisfaction in your part of that. Obviously, there's lots of different people in the system who are working for that, but your part in that. It just brings that inner glow, you know, and it, and it lasts a, at least 24 hours when you just feel, everything just seems to feel about right, you know. Your coffee tastes better in the morning than your breakfast. You know, the, the air seems a bit fresher. You know, the drive to work on the Monday morning feels a bit better. You know, and it just brings that kind of, feel and that look like in a glow so it's not about like I say it's not about running around high-fiving them you just feel that the ease of life come back and that kind of uh enjoyable glow that it brings and I think it's something I've always searched for do you have to win it the right way though for you and your ethos and, and your beliefs if you won one nil with a, a pre-VAR days your striker had punched it in would that feel sour to you it, not sour, but you you know, well, the, the point is, why well, only my assistant has a saying, there's no future in that. You can't luck out in the Premier League. You're not going to luck out 20 times in the Premier League. It's just not going to happen. You know, if you're going to get points in the Premier League, you might have two or three, well, maybe two genuine lucky ones when you've been awful and you get away with one. You might have two or three where the opposition have been below par and you've played well. The rest, you're going to have to earn the right. So the satisfaction does come more so when your team's, delivered what you think they can deliver. You know, and I think that's the biggest satisfaction. I mean, 
in my history at Burnley, we we beat some, you know, we did the, the, the Liverpool game, beat them after so many games and beat Man City and all them and Chelsea away and all that. Trust me, the biggest game for me is still beating Wigan at home to get the first promotion. If I could ever encapsulate a performance when I knew it from the beginning, I just knew they were going to deliver. And the style of performance, the mix play, the way we went about it was probably a magic moment in my management career when I just looked at it and thought, that is exactly what I want from a team to go and win games. And they were awesome. And I think that was the most satisfying thing, not just because we got promoted. I mean, the performance under pressure, of course. You know, you're talking about, at that time, 60, 70 million quid riding on that game. Yeah. And a whole different thing for the players, don't forget as well. And for me, you know, not just the kudos, the win, financially, people around the club, jobs, of course. You know, people are suddenly, we've got 40 more people employed and, this is all going in the melting pot. And for the team to just deliver at that moment the way they did, that will never leave me, that's for sure. I was going to ask you if you could live one day of your managerial life again, what it would be. It'd be that day, would it? Yes, it would be. And the problem is, so at the end of the game, I just literally ran off the pitch and there's all sorts going on, right? And I'm in the dressing room just walking around going, right, I don't know what to do. I remember just, <laughs> just walking around going, uh, right, uh, no one, no one's here because everyone's out on the pitch celebrating. I was just walking around going, right, I uh, don't, don't really know what to do. And then someone got, come and got me and went, Kathy, you've got to go back outside. You know, like you've got to go back out. And then I was like, oh, yeah, okay. It's interesting you say that about not knowing what to do. When you do get promoted, is, is there someone around to help you through the mechanics of being a promoted side? As you say, because every, every everything explodes 20-fold, really. It, do you, are there people in place to help you and the club through that transition? It's very difficult. I mean, so not just the on the pitch bit, of course, is difficult, but just around the club. I mean, you know, things that people don't know and don't see, nor should they. I mean, it's not exciting, but it's still a bit of knowledge. Is you know, the club has to be geared up for the Premier League. You know, some of this. So even like cabling had to be put in. It was like a million and a half quid. And, and by the way, there's no the, the club don't go. Sorry, we're not going to do that. You have to do it. The yeah. Premier League say, no, 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 you're in the Premier League. These are the requirements of the Premier League. Well, you know some of this. Cabling, uh, safety, uh, ground improvements, um, uh, health and safety to a level that you've never seen before, fire safety. Staff, Sean, HR, yes, ticketing, staff. whatever, you know, all sorts. Generators that back up the lights because we can't have the lights fail in case it loses <laughs> a game, you know, and stuff like that. And these are the things that not I mean, fans shouldn't see this, but there's so much goes on. It's not just on the pitch, which is a challenge. Um, obviously, I wasn't managing. I mean, I was saying some of the stuff around the club, but I wasn't managing all of that. It was more they're asking opinions of, say, like as you know, you need media space. So, what room would we use for the media and stuff like that? So, I was involved in that, but not all the cabling work, of course. But there's a massive amount of work that goes on. Premier League are very good at giving you the guide. They come in and visit, and they say, right. This is a list of things you have to do, and they'll monitor that. So that's helpful. Oh, um, of course, the, the Hawkeye system, of course, back in the day. Yeah, yeah. yeah that had to be put in. Um, you know, all these kind of things, and they're all going on behind you. And, and don't forget, you've got a relatively short time, really, when you think about it, for some of the structural stuff. You know, you have to get companies in and go, right, you've got to get on with that. You know, and, and luckily, the Premier League guide that as well. You know, so they are very, they're, they're, they're very well geared up for it, but it is still a challenge. Do you like being. Uh, having a say in the in in the stuff that is is not just on the football field. I, I mean, are you are you a manager? Are you a are you a head coach? Are you a, are you partly a chief exec? You've you've talked about you know how you're fascinated by leadership in in other areas. And I we did an FA Cup final together, and the, and the one line that you said to me at one of those was that still sticks in my head is that 
you are you are in charge as a as a football club manager of 25 chief executives because the players are chief executives of their own brand so i wonder what that makes for you it was a reference um to pep guardiola i remember being asked about it and i said well the marvellous thing about Pep, you can talk about the tactics, but he's got 25 mini companies and he's got them aligned to all deliver the right things for what's needed. And I said, that's that's management in itself, in my opinion. Of course, even at Burnley, you do get a, a version of that and because players are growing, you know, agents and the people around them. Yeah, managing that. In answer to your question about who or my style of management, I've always believed if, give me what you need me to manage and I'll manage it. So if you give me a terrible scenario... But you're honest with it. I walked into Burnley and I was cutting everything. You know, I'm getting pelts from the fans, but we're cutting contracts. I know those players want to leave, you know, internally. But at least I knew, at least they were honest. They said, this is what we're going to need to do. My point for bringing that up, that was more management. But if you're going to go into a club that's already well managed and they've got a structure, well, I might just be managing the team, literally the team. They might say, look, we've got this big structure all in place. We've got people that are scouting like crazy. We've got all of this stuff. We want you to manage the team. Well, then I'd manage that. You know, they've, they've made it clear. This is what your role is. This is what we want you to do. So again, it's maybe popular belief. You know, it's like, oh, no, he has to manage everything. I don't at all. Trust me, some of these managers now are managing the team only. They get a lot more free time. They get a lot more time to themselves. They get a lot more thinking time about, about their team and working with a team. When I was managing at Burnley, especially in the early days, my goodness, I was managing all sorts, you know, because the board wanted me involved. They wanted my opinion on things. They wanted my opinion on, you know, the structure of the club and the the, tra- the ground, the training ground and all stuff. Like we were sitting with the architects, you know, at five o'clock in the afternoon talking about the training ground and stuff like that. Tell me what you want me to manage or coach, whichever word you use, and I'll do that. The challenge comes is when the goalposts start massively changing which happens at many situations I've heard. It wasn't too bad for me, but I've heard when managers go into a club and the goalposts have already massively changed about what their role is. I think that's when the challenge comes. Do you think in some ways you have been pigeonholed through your work at Burnley? Because what you're highlighting with that previous answer is a versatility. But because you've had a certain set of circumstances at Burnley and you've been there for so long, do you think that pigeonholes you? I think it probably does somewhat. But at the end of the day, people have got to remember, you know, whatever... Whatever people think about these ideas and brands and all that, we had seven out of eight scenes in the Premier League. If I'm going to be in that pigeonhole, I'll take it now. Tell you now, I've got 200, and, I don't know, 260 or whatever games in the Premier League. I'll take it. So whether I'm in a pigeonhole or not, I would take 260 games as a manager in the Premier League because there ain't that many English managers or British managers who've got that many. So that alone stands you in good stead because of the knowledge you gain. Then, of course, there is that idea, well, you can only do this, that, and the other. Well, there are guidelines why I could only do this, that, and the other, and that was usually financially. I've got players who were growing in their careers from, you know, doing a journeyman career and now playing in the Premier League. I'm affecting their lives and their families' lives, not just me, but I'm guiding them to be better for them, for the team, for their families, for their livelihoods. You know, we weren't signing players who were worth a gajillion quid. We were signing players out of the championship who had were growing, you know, they were maturing yeah. into their careers. Um, so factoring all them things in, I'd take my time at Burnley without a shadow of a doubt and I'd take what people think. The brand is not about me, it's about the team. I was always a team guy and I'm like, right, can I get this team to operate at a better level? Are you a brand? Um, I don't know. I think there was a lot talked about with managers and their brands. I think you become one whether you like it or not. 
The media form you into one, whether you like it or not. I've never resisted it. I've never, well, you know, you've known me a long time. I, yeah. I've never really gone for the long ball, short ball thing. I've never really bothered with it. I've never resisted it. I've gone, yeah, think whatever you wish. It doesn't matter to me. You know, you, you're going to decide anyway. It's an easy thing. I will say that. I think the media, it's an easy thing to put you in boxes. It's a simple thing and it's a, a very quick thing. So if you're under pressure for guidelines, I know uh, Sean Dyche's team, they played hard today and dirty and they kicked the ball forward. You know, it's a very easy line. You can throw it out there very quickly. Very short-term journalism, but it works. I do try and be fair with the media. I get it. I get the. I get the fact they've got to. They've got to get things out there quick. They've got to almost package situations up. You know, it adds to the flavour of the story. You know, we're not. We're not going to go to right. Sean Dyche is not going to go to Pep Guardiola. Um, I, I, by the way, I don't like. I've just spoken myself in the third term. I really don't like that. I don't know why I that. I'm not, not going to go and take on Pep and make out that we're going to do what they do. That's not going to happen. So when the media say, oh, you know, Beauty and the Beast and all that, why would I fight against that? Because I go, well, yeah, it probably is going to be a version of that. We're not going to go and say we're going to outplay Man City. We're not. We're going to try and disorganise them and make it awkward. And, and as Pat once said, it's like going to the dentist. I was buzzing. I was absolutely buzzing. I thought he's recognised that it's not that easy playing against Burnley. More so at Burnley, by the way, because when we used to go to the Atta, we get smashed every time. But at Burnley, he used to say it's like going to the dentist. And... It was a compliment of sorts. You know, he, he's, he's saying these guys make it hard. You know, they know what they're doing. They're trying to deliver something that is very awkward for us to deal with. So things like that, that side of me, it doesn't bother me because I'm like, yeah, it's fair. You know, you are calling it about right. The only thing that bothers me is when you started earlier and you were asking me about this idea and perception of, I don't know, hard Burnley, dirty Burnley. Just look at the stats and the facts behind it and you go, no, competitive Burnley, yes. Players that will give their lot, yes. Players wear their heart on their sleeve, mostly, yes. Well, I don't think that's a bad thing. So I'll take that. I'll take that. Because you, you you work with the tools that you are given, to then convince someone else that you will do something in a different way at a different club is presumably quite hard. I mean, if I was if I was chief executive of a Premier League club and, and was sitting in a meeting with you looking at a managerial appointment and I said to you, so how are we going to play under you? How do you respond? Well, first of all, you want to play effectively. You know, I see too many teams now playing non-effective football and I go, I, I can't fathom that out at all. Um, and then you go, right, okay, what, what's your skill set? What, you, what, you know, what, what are you telling me that you've got? What do you consider you've got that can play? Let's just to simplify it, let's say the right way. You know, everyone talks about the right way, right? So we roll it out six yards along the back, have 4,000 passes and we score a goal. So if you've got the players to do that, I have no problem with that whatsoever. You know, people forget my background as a youngster was working at Nottingham Forest. It's fair to say Nottingham Forest Brian Club was miles in front of the curve as regards what we call the right way of playing. So I do know the passing lanes. I do know how to pass and play. You've got to have the people who can do that. This is, you know what? I've always felt this, Chappers. I was talking about this a couple of interviews ago. When you look at a play, if I ask you, right, if I said, Chappers, I want you to this and it's miles out your skill set, I'm actually doing you a disservice. Yeah. So therefore, why would I do that to a footballer? I put them in a position and go, right, your skill set is this, and yours is this, and yours is this, and yours is this, and this is the best way we can form to be successful. I think that's management. I think that really is. And coaching. There's a link there. It's managing the situation, but it's also coaching these players to go, this is why, and this is how it's going to work. Now then, so if you imagine you've got a better, I mean, I'm not doing my players down at Burnley because they were terrific, but if you've got, let's say, a more highly technical group, it's fair to say you're going to play a more technical style. It's just common sense. It's just logic. Whether that means you're going to start passing... Personally, I, I, I'd be surprised. You might tell me different in a few years' time. Who knows? 
If you see my goalkeeper passing it backwards from a goal kick, I would be surprised if you saw that. I think you, I, I don't, I'd give you the right chance to go, Daichi, you wouldn't just told me. <laughs> you wouldn't have your goal kick pass it backwards from a goal kick. Um, I can't see the logic in that or the value in it personally. But that doesn't mean I don't want them to play. Because even at Burnley, you know, we did want them to play. It's just that we had to play a way that would win football matches. Where do you, where do you think that trend has come from? The trend for the, for for very short goal kicks, sometimes a centre half well, passing it to a goalkeeper inside their own six yard box. Well, well, I'll give you, where I'll do you think you, it's come from? I'll give you a view of my early coaching days, and this will fit into your question. Mm-hmm. So the story behind Barcelona, right? So I did a story behind Barcelona for my youth team at Watford, and it was the work they do behind all the glory. So once they passed it and they passed forward, right? You see their back line crunch the pitch, right? If they give it away, you see how quickly they go and get after the ball. You see how quickly they press the ball. Five-yard fury, as we call it. First man gets after the ball. The, less, the, the rest are. Their, their big, expansive shape goes woof, straight back in within seconds. And I used to show the youth team and say, right, if you're going to play, transition is the key. That's the key to it. So in answer to your question, the idea of playing out the back is not a problem to me. Why, If you can open up the pitch and you can play technical football through the thirds and go and be successful and penetrate and score goals, that's a marvellous thing and we all know it. But I saw Edison smash one down the pitch the other day and that, li- that little fella who's doing okay, Harland, up front, pull someone off the ball and whack it in the corner and everyone yeah. was marvelling at it. So where do you, you know, where do you go with it? Where, where, you know, where, uh, I think there is an undercurrent. You might tell me differently. You, you probably listen to more um, uh, noise, if you like, volume and, and noise around football. No, through your job, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I do think there's an undercurrent of fans now. Um, I do think, I mentioned it earlier about the, the hard work of a team. They, I think they're going, come on, you know, we want to see a team give everything. Equal, I think there are some fans now going, I don't know whether I want to keep seeing them pass around the horseshoe, you know, 300 times. I think there's just an undercurrent. I'm a great believer in mixed football, mixed styles. If you can be effective and mix your style of play, and I think it's a masterstroke with Haaland, the fact that he will stretch the pitch for Man City. I mean, they've got the lot now, Man City. They can hurt you with their passing, but now they can stretch the pitch. They can go and play forward, direct, if they wish. They're probably not going to do it very often. When they need it, it's there. That is a marvellous weapon to have. In the perfect world, the best players make the best decisions. Whether it's short or long becomes irrelevant. And the, to finish up my ramble on that, because I'm trying to give a fair view of it, an example in my lifetime, you know, imagine telling Glenn Oddle to only pass it 10 yards. It would have been a, the biggest disservice to football you've ever seen. And I had a lesser version with Kieran Trippier. I went to an interview, I said, I would be doing Kieran Trippier a disservice by saying, I only want you to pass inside to the winger or the centre midfield player, because that boy can pass the I'm telling you, he can hit any length of pass in any style he wants to. So I'd actually be taking a skill set away from him, not giving him one. So there lies the balance, you know, and, and I think it's a good debate always about effective football, playing position or possession, which style are you playing to be effective and win games. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, 
Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This is a paid advertisement from BetterHelp Therapy Online. Do you ever get that feeling that you need to get something off your chest? We all carry around different stresses, big and small. And when we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe place to release and discuss those thoughts and feelings and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, why not give BetterHelp a try? It's entirely online and it's designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. All you need to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a licensed therapist. And if things don't click, you can switch to someone new at any time with no additional charge. With over 1,000 therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. And because you listen to this podcast, you can get 10% off your first month of online therapy by heading to betterhelp.com slash athleticfootball. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash athleticfootball with no spaces. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Just a final one on the coaching side of things, I suppose. You 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 you've set your 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 plans and your team up to suit the skill set of your players, as you were saying. How, how much can you in the modern professional game, certainly at Premier League level, improve the skill set of a of a modern player? Yeah, so we we talk a lot about this. So <clears throat> development phase football, probably, arguably. Uh, sorry, I'm talking about tactically, uh, tactically and technically, because the physicality kind of will will you know people mature at different levels. Obviously, you can speed it up with fitness. So let's take them out. Let's take the fitness and that all out, and let's just go technical and tactical. You've probably got a window, particularly technically. If a player's about, I would argue, 22, 23, 24, they're more or less formed technically. The tactical side, of course, you can teach them and sharpen their tactical knowledge. Whereas if you've got like a 16, 17, 18-year-old, you're still technically improving them because their bodies are not formed. You know, you can they're striking the ball cleaner and stronger and their touch is changing because, you know, a, a lad might be, you know, I have players in my youth system who suddenly have gone three inches in a year and their body's gone like, you know, stick insects and, and their bodies have gone all over the place. When they start to form physically, usually their technical skill set is formed. So then you go into the tactical world. You know, once they've got them technical qualities, are you adding them into the tactical format of how the team operates? So I think that's more management rather than coaching, and particularly with older age groups, you know, first team management. When you're in them development phases, you can still get a lot of these technical um, qualities. We call it technical sharpening. So when we're doing drills at Burnley, it was about technical sharpening. You're just keeping them sharp. You know, they kind of know. Um, and, you know, even some of the technical detail, it's reminders more than actually teaching them. When There's first team level I'm talking about. But could, could you improve a 24-year-old centre-half's ability on the ball? 
I think you can improve their um, probably their decision making. I think you can improve right. that. I don't think you're going to improve them much with uh, oh, and the style of technique of a of a pass. Let's say. I mean, I remember speaking to Michael Keane heavily about shaping the ball. You know, because he 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 hits the drill. He likes the drill. So drill the ball. And I was yeah. like lifting it and shaping it, you know, speaking to the centre-halves about that. Like a get-out-of-jail ball. You know, you're under pressure, lift it down the line, play out of pressure, the team gets up the pitch and things like that. So it's a technical detail. They can they can do it, but it's not familiar to them. So I think we'd talk more about that and we would do some drills on that kind of style. But when you're talking about, or I'm imagining in my mind, actually, it's unfair, but I'm imagining like dribbling and stuff like that and, you know, doing skills and stuff. I think that's really a formed thing. But when you're talking about technical as in passing styles and shapes and reasoning, I think you can do that. And I think we certainly work to improve things like that. What do you want from your next job? A chance. Um, jobs pick you. You very rarely pick the jobs. You know, there's only a handful of managers in the world who can pick a job. Um, you know, uh, Klopp, Pep, Simeone, people like that, they can choose jobs. They can more or less say yes or no, uh, take a rest for a year, come back, say, right, who wants me? I'm not that guy. So you need a chance, first of all. And all you want is a realistic chance. That's all you want. You want, I think, as a manager, you want realism. You want a balanced view of what the club really is and what you can do with it and the truth of where it's at. You know, where is that club at? What's the expectation or the immediate expectation and how far can we can we break the boundaries to move it forward? Is that a, <clears throat> is that at a certain level within the English game? Or no, think, would, you, a, would you look abroad? I think... <clears throat> I think um, yeah, there's a few popular misconceptions. I'll clear a few up for you. Uh, there was the one I don't like foreign players. Absolute nonsense. I couldn't care where players are from anywhere in the world as long as they're good or they want to learn and they want to improve. That was one that got thrown out basically because of an ownership. You know, we had an ownership. We wanted safe bets. You know, they didn't want to take risks on foreign players and they don't settle and all them things, whereas the new ownership did. So, of course, we signed some foreign players. Scouting systems as well, things like that. So the idea of going abroad, I'd consider it. Um, I think I've still got something to offer here. Um, with all due respect to many leagues around the world, I still think the Premier League is the league. Um, I think after seven out of eight years in the Prem, I've deserved the chance to at least um, see if anything comes my way. You can't guarantee it. But I think, you know, my my, my history and, and knowledge of the Premier League suggests that someone out there might go, OK, we'll give you a chance. So I'm willing to be patient for that chance. Whilst equally, I was a, a journeyman footballer. I've got no problem working at any other level. It doesn't bother me at all. You know, I've, I've, I've been in the championship. It doesn't bother me. Um, you know, the idea of trying to grow a club, get get promoted and stuff like that. But the, the main answer to your question, I've, I'll definitely give myself a window to see if a Premier League club wants me. Does Graham Potter getting the Chelsea job help English managers? I've been waiting. Um, and I think all British English managers have been waiting for the chance for someone to, to break through, really break through. You know, I think when Brendan nearly so close to winning the league at Liverpool, you want that to happen. You want Eddie Howe to do well. You want, you know, Graham Potter to do well. Because the more that do well, the more belief grows in English coaching and management maybe ownership's changed their view a little bit. Because a lot of clubs, you've got to remember, when, when you talk about, um, I've been asked many times, British managers and all that stuff, and you know, yeah. there's a lot of foreign owners out there. So what they probably are going to gravitate just by their cultural knowledge of football to someone who is either from where they're from or someone in Europe, because their knowledge is greater. So the more English or British coaches that do well, the better chances that these owners go, oh, hang on a minute, we might have to look 
you know, internally, not not going out into the world of, of management or coaching because there's people here who are doing a really good job. So I'd like to see all them guys do well. But even the older guys, I mean, I think David Moyes has done a massive, I think yeah. he's done a brilliant job at West Ham. Brilliant. I mean it. Changing the whole feel, the, the feel of West Ham, the culture, players, you know, working, they're, they're organised. And I think, no disrespect to any other managers, but I think he's done a brilliant job there. And as you wait for the, for the next job, I'll, I'll give you one day where you can go to another sport and talk to a leader in that sport, or you can go to a, to a top FTSE company and talk to a chief exec. Where would you go? Who would you talk to? Well, I've been very fortunate. The leaders in sport group who I've done some talks with, they invited some amazing places. Um, I went to Monaco uh, with Dave Browsford, spent some time with Dave. He's a brilliant guy. Sir Dave, I should say, brilliant guy, very knowledgeable, always got a different thing that you can think about. So I've been fortunate with that. I mean, this is while I've been on a break so far. Went to the Champions League, but not just watching, you know, you're dealing with people, you're getting to meet people who are very knowledgeable about what they're doing and the, the world of football. Um, Business-wise, uh, they've got great links. Sorry, the reason for bringing up uh, Leeds in sport, they've got brilliant links around the world. I was on a Zoom call with, um, and forgive me, I've forgotten his name, the, the guy who's run the Yankees for about 25 years. Okay, right. What a guy. I just saw, I said, I immediately rang um, Jimmy, who works for Leeds and Sport. I'd said, Jimmy, can you set me up with them? Because just his whole manner, I just thought, wow, you, you, I could smell it on him. I just thought, no, you're, you're a leader. You know, he's, he's like the GM, but he, you could just feel it on him. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to do some homework on him because I don't know him at all, obviously. So I might go out there um, if nothing comes around, of course, and, and spend a few days out if they'll if they'll allow me, of course. Um, I wouldn't be going, by the way, and looking at people do passing drills and that. Them days are gone. I'm not bothered with that. It's more the management or the coach. It's culture and vision and strategy, isn't it? And that and that's what you learn on those on those Even kind of trips. The bit choppers is because you've got to remember in my sort of <laughs> ten years at Burnley or nine and a half years, I've already been to KPMG. I've spoke with them. Um, I've done various Q&As for companies. I've been with Eddie Jones. I've been with the Saracens. I've been with Harlequins. I've been uh, at the Oxford Boat Crew. So I've already done a lot of that. Now it's kind of fine-tuning it. You know, what do you want from it? So not just an overview. What can I find that'll be the next thing? And even some of the bands, you know, I'm mad on music. I was speaking to Melvin Benn, who, who runs the uh, Leeds and Reading Festival, about the org- imagine organising that. Okay, how do you manage that? No, I love that stuff. Yeah, me too. Me too. Yeah, I don't yeah. know where you even begin with something like that. <laughs> Absolutely nailed it. I said exactly. I went, right, where do you begin with all that can go wrong at a huge festival? Where do you even begin? And he's a great guy to speak to. And then, and you know, the management of that style, some of the band managers, I speak to them, how are you managing these load of herbics, you know, to keep them on track and all that. Because, you know, you're dealing with human beings. You're dealing with, with getting the best out of human beings and aligning them as well. You know, Melvin Ben, how's he aligning everyone to make sure them festivals at least run, and if not, run brilliantly, you know? So I love all that sort of stuff. Just speaking, just chatting, you can pick yeah. up from that. It doesn't always have to be a big visit, just literally chatting as we are today. How, how much, when, when a new job comes along, do you take fan reaction into it? Because because as you saw with Bert, you and Burnley, the relationship between manager and fans is crucial. If you don't get off to a good start, it can be very hard to get it. Yeah, I think I think it's becoming um, a bigger aspect of it than before. I think when I went to Burnley, I was probably they were probably sixty forty against me going, um, as in being their manager, and it took a lot of winning over. I think you need fifty fifty as a manager. I think fifty percent of the fans, you know, I mean, broadly speaking, yeah. you can't measure it, but I think there has to be enough good feeling to at least give you a chance. I think if, if I'd work on if, if people give me a fifty percent chance, go right, fifty percent of us is going to accept you. It's your job to convince us. I'd take that because it's highly unlikely nowadays you're going to get 
100% coverage. I mean, unless you are Pep or Klopp or something like that, you know, you ain't going to get it. So you want a chance. That's the main thing. But you do want a chance as well once you're in a club to be at least given some time by the fans to go, okay, let's see what you've got. That's all you want is a fair chance. As ever, lovely to talk to you. Go and enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you, Sean. And you, mate. Top man. Top man. That's it. Don't forget, if you haven't already, you can subscribe to The Athletic for just a pound for the first six months by going to theathletic.com slash football pod. Thanks for listening. The Athletic.